Hi, welcome to Post-Apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is John. We'll talk about your web series. I know we won't go into too many details because it's in the uh, planning stages. How, how's it going? How are you feeling about it? Well, you know, personally, I I guess I shouldn't have... I like to put limits on myself, but I shouldn't have an, a lot of time mm-hmm. to let something sort of germinate. Right. You know, because in my mind, I'm very affected by my surroundings and different pieces of art whether it be right. music or whatever and then you go oh that'll be cool if that'll be cool if and that will be cool ifs turns into a small project which it should be right into something ultimately larger and more uh daunting mm-hmm. so i'm just trying to like keep it simple you know i have two ideas mm-hmm. for web series and one of them is sort of a larger scale and of course i want to do large scale of course yeah want to make your mark and just go look look what i did yeah it's like let me scrap the short and sweet one Mm -hmm. and and it's just more people i talk to it's like that's not the way to go it's like look do something that you know you can get done quickly get it out yeah and then maybe that can fold into you know fundraising or whatever for the Um, for the larger thing so i'm just trying to like it's an exercise in keeping it small and sort of what it is you know i I want things to be significant but you know uh i think we talked on the last one it's just you just know that from what the environment is now the digital environment it's like people put out stuff like this conversation i could record this conversation right now for like two minutes and before we're done it's uploaded probably somebody's commented on it already that's that's kind of the world we live in so you know, you got to get content out fast. You know, yeah. gone are the days of, you know, Kubrick, you know, coming out every 15 years with something <laughs> and going, look what I did. But it's my crowning achievement. It's like, no, just get it out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not going to, like, end you if it's not, you know, the best. But yeah, um, Unless you're doing something very hateful, then that might end you. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you just do something bad, you just move on from the bad. And you can take it down, even though, like I think we mentioned before, it does live forever somewhere. Someone could, right. oh, I ripped it and saved um, John's piece of piece of trap. But then what are you going to do? It's like then, but you have to own up to it. Right. Eventually you get to the point where it's like, look at this thing I did. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, so as long as you own up to it, and, it and, won't and, come back and bite And you. there it is. And it's like... You could turn it around, you know, mm. spin it everything. Oh, yeah, look at what I did. It was crap. But look at my evolution now. Like, yeah. wow, what did... I'm such a better... Fil- Although, I'm such a better filmmaker there. Yeah, just beat up yeah. on that, that younger yeah. part. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know anything. It was terrible. But now, I'm the, you know, as long as your latest work is, is good, then... Um, not that this will be bad, but it just might not be 100% of where I want it to be, you yeah. know? I mean, you're going to be doing a little of the limitations. Like, you're going to be doing the best you can with what you have. Right. And then the next one, you'll have a little more. So you'll do the best you can exactly. with a little more. And then you get to a point. Like you, I think we said in the the last one or two pods ago, where when you were at USC, they you could see the first works of all the people yeah. that are like, oh, here's Lucas's first one. Here's this person's first one. And that just can ground you a little bit yeah. you're like oh so he didn't come out and make star wars right no no no, no, no. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah, that, that took some time to get to star wars right exactly so it, it's that whole i think i was the first on that cusp of the first generation of filmmakers going through film school who are like i want it now yeah because you i want everything now because you started to see 
people like John Singleton and those guys who right out of film school made some film that, you know, garnered Academy Award nominations, yeah. you know, at like 22 or 23. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to do that. He's doing that. But, you know, he's one in like a billion. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you mapped everyone who graduated with like a film degree and the intention to direct, like you would have to then parse it a little bit because there's right. probably a lot of people. Yeah, I got a film degree, but. You know, I moved, totally. on. I moved on to something else. Most of my friends, yeah. So, yeah, you take all those people there. Yes, there's going to be five. They're gonna, look, look what he did. Right. That's five out of, let's say, a thousand. And it's like, oh, all right, the number's a little different, you know? And yeah, there's always going to be, there's going to be a Kevin Smith. There's going to be a John Singleton. Totally. And then these people that think, look, at James Gunn directed Guardians of the Galaxy. He, he's out of nowhere. No, no, no. He had... Sp- Three sort of films before that that weren't trauma, and then ten films in his trauma world. Right. So people don't see the trauma films. So overnight success, you yeah. know, it takes you years to be your ten year overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, you realize it's about more than just being a filmmaker. Like this business is ninety percent drive and marketing yourself and getting out there right place right time all that stuff and 10 percent talent yeah plenty of talented people here there's plenty of like really good athletes that never make it to yeah. you know professional sports for whatever reason life whatever um but the people you see in the spotlight the kevin smiths those guys you look at kevin smith now like he's a force like he's he got comic books podcasts movies mm-hmm. producing things he's acting you know he's doing everything you know and i wasn't like a huge kevin smith fan until like i heard him speak like he's a really good like if he can speak to an audience there's some certain filmmakers that i like just to hear talk about movies mm-hmm. and everything kevin smith is one of them even his print story is it's so a, good it's, a, it's amazing <laughs> which you can actually go go to youtube and type kevin smith prince although he's talked about it a couple times he yeah, kind of regrets right. talking about that story but he goes it was he goes it was 22 year old me meeting my idol about working on a film so it's it's a great it's a great right. story and he's he talks how he writes which is something you don't see too often but he's he's a storyteller right. i don't is he a great filmmaker? I don't know. I like his films. I think he's a great storyteller, which makes his films a little better. You know, if he wasn't a good storyteller, his films wouldn't be very good. Very true. Very true. And that, that's the thing people don't realize is that there's a, a definite um, quality to his films. And if you like the quality, you really love Kevin Smith. But he is a he's a really good storyteller, and that's what people who look at something like, you know, a film about stoners, yeah. like like he would make and go, oh, I can just go get a camera and I can do that. But they don't realize, no, there's like, this guy's a storyteller, but he doesn't even just tell stories within, you know, the realm of movies or even tell them, you know, person to person or in front of a crowd. You know, he's a comic book guy too, mm-hmm. you know, and there's another layer there that you have to crack in order to tell a story within panels you know so i think that kevin smith has honed his craft but i think from clerks you can tell you know he had something and he's a he's a really good storyteller and that's what separates 
the guy with the camera who's just going to go shoot something without any sort of uh, without realizing that this this thing takes more than just like a camera. Yeah, and like he is close to our age. I mean, he's a little older, but he's yeah. close to our age. Where like with us, we've seen enough film. We grew up with the film, like the '80s boom of the film. So. When he made Clerks, he knew what he needed. Like, he did go to film school briefly, but then he dropped out of this famous story. And, and so that's the thing. It's like, I think if I were to direct a film now, I know the mechanics of how to make it. Well, it's also to the 20 years of TV I've been in. But, like, right. I would know how to do that. Would I tell a good story? I don't know. That I don't know. But he was able to tell a good story with, he goes, all right, I know I need a wide here. I know I need a close up here. Like, he just took the very basics of what he saw and went, Oh, I know how to move this forward, you know, and yeah. two being the only two people, him and Mosier and the actors, the only ones were probably the best thing for him. It wasn't someone going, why are you shooting this scene next? It would make more sense to shoot this scene in his head. He didn't know. Right. It was like, well, I'm going to shoot this scene. Then this scene's funny to me. Great. Cause you're by yourself doing it. And yeah, but too, it's like, I think with uh, like John Singleton, what was his first one? It was uh, boys in the hood. Boys in the hood. Um, I don't know why I always think that's his second film. I don't know why. <laughs> I, it, shouldn't but it's because it's probably so good maybe yeah and that's something different he made a great film with what he had which was like uh, you those two films aren't even close like the things with kevin smith gives you that sense of that like you're talking about the guy oh i got a camera i'm gonna go make a film look what kevin smith did but if i looked at you know when, when i saw boys in the hood at the time i didn't know that was his first film that was pre yeah knowing everything about anything i would have never guessed that's someone's first film. And that what alone's like, well, I can't do what he does. Right. You have the Kevin Smith's going, I can do what he does. It's that, that thing of like what you get inspired with and what you think you can do. But I think opening the door, Kevin Smith or those people at the time, you know, like the Richard Link letters and all those have opened the door of people going, I can do this. Right. Whereas like the John Singleton, that person out of film school going, idiot, genius. Yeah. I'll never do that. <laughs> and John Singleton never made a film in, in film school. Oh, was he, was he a, a film theorist? He's a, theor- write, he was a oh. writing student. So he made, he wrote the script mm-hmm. in film school, got it workshopped uh, by his professors and you know those people and you know fellow students. But no, he never made a film. He ne- oh wow! And I so he, he went to uh, I think it was a bidding war on the script because he won the Nickel Fellowship, which okay. is you know uh, probably the foremost uh, uh, prize for script writing. Mm. Of course, you know, that got him an agent and while he was in still in school and none of his classmates had an agent. Uh, so they're like, wow, this kid has an agent. He's in Nickel Fellowship yeah. and he's undergrad in school. You yeah. know, he's not even, you know, probably 20 years old. So there was a bidding war in the script. Uh, of course, you know, he hadn't directed one short in film school. Mm-hmm. So nobody wanted him to direct. And was he fighting to direct? He fought. Okay. So he said, he's like, this is the movie I want to make. He went in there and, and laid out how he wanted to yeah. do it because he was very uh, well versed on filmmakers mm-hmm. and, and setting up shots and, and why things work and why they don't. But uh, he basically said, "You're not going to get this script unless I direct it." And Columbia, he said, "All right, we'll give you six under six million bucks." They're like, "That's all we're giving you." And basically, he said they let him just go make his movie. Now they gave him like a cinematographer that was yeah. seasoned and all that. Yeah, I'm which sure that was the that, first time that underlining thing where it's like you have to hire these three people. Yeah, to your movie, hire these three people, and those people will help you totally. understand. Yeah. So I mean, he did that, and 
he was sort of I went to USC and he was sort of the he, it was a nail in the coffin with him mm-hmm. because you know I, I didn't get I wanted to go to UCLA but I didn't get in they're you know, lost they don't let they're lost there you go <laughs> thank you Rob. they they don't let nearly as many people in uh, not and USC is still incredibly hard to get into but I wanted to go to USC because the cost I mean UCLA because the cost was significantly right. less and I was like I don't want to pay USC money yeah um, so I did get in USC and I was like okay John Singleton went here George Lucas went here. Uh, Spielberg gives money. I guess I could go. Yeah. Uh, glad I went. But it's just, you know, the amount of kids there who want to, even in film school, direct this big epic, yeah. you know, is crazy, mm-hmm. you know? And even as I'm about to, you know, graduate, it's like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I want to um, step off this graduation stage onto a set as director. And it's like, yeah, it ain't happening. And it's like, they gave him $6 million. I, I'll ask for three. And like our commencement speaker for the film school that was who was awesome, obviously, uh, was Sidney Poitier. Wow. And like when he shook my hand, and, you know, when I got the diploma, I was just like basically like in my mind, like, hey, I can get I'll, this I'll, guy to I'll do see my first. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you on set tomorrow, right? Movie. <laughs> like, dude, come on, you know. <laughs> Although while in film school, I, I had a, my first job in post. Mm-hmm. This is post PA for a pilot um, at Warner Brothers when they were still the WB. I think the they were like WB. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, it sort of grounded me mm-hmm. and <laughs> how much I did not know about <laughs> filmmaking. Oh, I don't mean to laugh, but I, I we've all had the first job. It, if you work in TV, understand yeah. that that that's it. Just makes me laugh. Yeah, you just hear all these words and you see things. First of all, budget like a real budget mm-hmm. and what it really means. Not the budget that you have yeah. in film school. What they try to teach you how to do it, but this is like with all the departments that you have to go through. It's like, oh, okay, this is the real deal. Then from that, I was like, okay, now I want to I want to spend some time in TV from the bottom mm-hmm. to like really learn everything. But it's but it it, it humbled me in a way that I'm. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Do not talk negative about Do the WWB. <laughs> it humbled me in a way that I was like grateful for because then it like it got me my mindset to think, okay, let me just go forward and learn. You know, I'm a sponge. I'm not this, you know, uh, prick from, you know, film school. Oh, I can, you know, yeah. make film. Oh, is that could, how you're going to direct yeah. the scene? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and on that pilot, uh, Peyton Reed was directing. He'd just come off of uh, Bring, oh. Bring It On. And uh, his style was like, it was perfect because it was like this youthful, like fast, really energetic style. The guy's really nice, really energetic. And I could see like the way he worked, the way he worked in the, uh, the edit bay. That he knew what he was doing, but he was like closer to my age. Okay. And it was like, wow, this guy's like, you know, five, maybe five years older mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just, just out there doing it. But you could tell like there was something about him that he knew mm-hmm. what he was doing. And like he had the agent, he was dealing with the agent. That whole dynamic was uh, fun to see, you know, because before that, you're just dealing with your fellow students and stuff. You're not dealing with an agent yeah. and what happens. And, um, just just the mechanics of working in TV, as you know, just blew my mind. Yeah. And and I, I think that for you, in your case, I would say that you've gone to film school. I mean, with all the shows that you worked on. Right. With you seeing from start to finish a show come together from nothing to, you know, air. 
you know enough, you know, and, and I think you're, you're a good storyteller too. Um, I, I don't think know many people who will review a movie like you do. I'm serious. Like you break apart things so well, like you could take down a terrible movie so well. So I think that, you know, through it all, like you do, but I mean, how how long have you been in the business? It's not like film school's not going to be. Yeah, I've, uh, I'll be hitting this April. It'll be 21 years since my first pilot. See? Yeah. I was going to say like 20 years. I mean, that's, you can't, yeah. you can't deny that, you know? So you can go out here and make a film yeah. and you won't be the guy who's just like, Hey, I'm coming from uh, the corporate world. Why don't I go ahead and just make a movie? Yeah. You've worked in this industry for so long so you know it, it, it's it's funny i was talking to somebody the other day and you know he's a professor and he's like his students are like they would come out with their films their shorts and he's like well you know you're not finished and they're like well, what do you mean like, yeah the film's got to be color corrected <laughs> and, and they're like oh no no i like it that way i want it that way and i was like you know what it is. It's like they don't know what color correction right. is and know that step, and they're just sort of playing it they off. They think they, the lighting. They're probably thinking, no, I, the lighting's intentional yeah. that way. It's like, no, it's got to exactly. match scene They probably scene. don't yeah. Yeah, realize exactly what color correction is. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, things have to match. That whatever movie you see, whatever Marvel movie you think you're going to direct right out of school. Um, Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything that comes in raw, you know, looks gray. Yeah. Flat. And it just sometimes, even when you pop the color on, it just doesn't match because there's daylight. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just natural. So you have to match these things. And you can play with color. You can play with mood. And you can sort of also play with storytelling in that way as well. There's always an opportunity in each stage to play with storytelling. That's why I think that this medium of film is the the greatest medium because you know as great as music is as great as art is like fine art as great as all these things that acting that it brings together it's a it's a mesh of all of those Mm -hmm. so you can bring all of those worlds into one and that's why i think it's it's great and so at every moment in the writing stage when you're shooting story changes when you're editing the story changes when you're even color correcting and doing sound design uh story changes and I just think that uh, if you don't realize that and don't take advantage of that, I think that, you know, you're doing yourself like a disservice. And I think Kevin Smith, as much as he would talk about, oh, well, you know, we went out and shot this thing in Clerks on 16 millimeter black and white. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just shot it. I just, he knows. He probably knows more now talking about that he didn't know anything, but he knew enough. I think, yeah, what he knows now is, oh, that's how you budget, and I need four sound guys and three lighting guys and stuff like that. He knew enough. He knew what to get his... He knew what he had to do to get clerks made, which is a lot. You know... You have to know what you're doing. And and that movie shot... Well, and once again, it was a film student DP who did the lighting, Mm -hmm. film student, you know, producer who was also in it, and everyone, you know, pulled their weight. Like, I'm sure with your student films and everything like that, everyone does 20 jobs. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, and, yeah, it's it's that thing of, like, that false thing of that person that goes, oh, I can do that. Yeah, because Kevin said he didn't know how he did it. He, he, you go to film school, there's the other film school, is growing up and watching films. Yeah. That's your, that's, that's film school number one that might get you, interested there's people that love movies that have no interest in making a movie then there's the people that love it 
and want to do it, and that's sort of your schooling. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I think that you're always going to film school. It's not like you have to actually go to an institution and pay the money and do all that. But, you know, Spielberg, to quote a relatively unknown, yeah. um, he he didn't get into USC. Like, he applied three times. They rejected him. You know, he went to Long Beach State. He didn't even finish Long Beach State. But he had been making films since he was probably in the womb. He was a student of a film. You know, he was, a, a, I mean, if you look at his movies and the way things are composed and the transitions he makes, he is a real student of film. And he really pays attention to a lot of things. Like, he's really good in creating a geography, you know, in, a, in, a, in an area, especially with action scenes, mm-hmm. so that you know where everyone is. Yeah. You know, or the, the really hard thing of, like, shooting a dinner table where you have actors all around the table right and you have to shoot overs and you have to shoot you know close-ups in a way that you can tell where everyone is at the same time you don't really think about those things right but it's incredibly hard you look at it you know in the movie like okay well it's just just everyone's talking i understand what's going on to make that that's that dinner scene that maybe has a conversation took four days to shoot yeah which you don't think about. It's like, that was one of the things too I learned in when I moved to single camera mm-hmm. TV. It's like, why does it take three days to do this one thing? Well, it's wide, close up, singles, you know, right. walking in, walking out, because we can't have them walking in and talking because then you see the crew. We can only have them walking in and we have to reset up. Then he turns around and you're just like, holy shit, I had no idea. Like, I just figured right. you just, not you just turn the cameras on and rolled. But I had no idea just the extent of what it takes to make a movie and cohesive. It's true. It's like the the extent of what it takes. You know, when I got to, f- to film school, I was didn't know. I just didn't know. And then even on a small student level, the amount of people it takes and the extent of to where to get a day of shooting, mm-hmm. the amount of planning it takes to make sure everything is there on that day and how many people it takes. To, to, to pull that off is amazing. And every time I talk to, you know, people like my mom or people who don't know anything about this, I'm like, you just don't know how much it, what it takes to, uh, to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And that's just the, that's just making the movie, you know, then there's legal, then there's all these other stuff that you have to get, you know, insurance, you have to get all these other things, uh, in order to shoot the thing. Yeah. And so it's like permits, it's it's crazy, you know, but um, now I know, I mean, how to pull it off. But, you know, if I explain to people what I do, like explain what we do in post mm-hmm. and I keep going, going, I try to, me, I try to whittle it down as much as I can every yeah. time to, to a point where people will know what I'm even talking about. Yeah. What do you do? Oh, you know, I manage editors and get mm-hmm. it on the air. Yeah. It, even then you go, oh, OK, I don't know what that means, but good. Good luck. And uh, it is funny, though. Like, I don't know if it's like, oh, I work in, you know, post-production. And someone goes, oh, are you an editor? There's yeah, other jobs. That's that's, that's, the, that's <laughs> Then it makes me feel bad. No. Yeah. No, I'm not, not an editor. Oh. Okay. I manage him? Yeah. Kind of. I am their boss in theory, but I can't really fire them. <laughs> so right. It's like. There's multi-levels level, right. to my position. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, dealing with. Uh, executive producers and dealing with the network dealing with the studio dealing with all the departments in the network yeah. promo you know you're 
everyone had like you're serving all these masters. Like yeah. everyone wants something. You know, and you have to like prioritize that. Yeah. You know, and you have to have the EP at the top. And if the EP is like, well, I'm not giving that up, then you got to go. Well, we're not, we're not comfortable. You got to find a way to not say, oh, the EP's not doing it, because then politically that can get back. Yeah. So you got to find a way it's to a just dance you do make, every yeah, day, make everybody happy. And, yeah. You know. So I mean, it's 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 inter- it makes it interesting. It's fun. It's never like no day is the same. Um, I think that. If you are a student of film, and I don't mean going to school, I mean if you just really realize what I tell people is just think about the films that you love, mm-hmm. the films that you respond to, and just figure out why you like it, why you respond to it, and try to do that. Try to figure out how they did that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know the films I like. You know, I know a lot went into them. Yeah. A lot goes into them other than just like they turn on the camera and magically it's going to happen, you know, because you can turn on the camera, you can shoot overs, you can shoot wides, shoot close ups and then give it to some editor, have them edit and put out a film. Yeah. It may not be good, may not make sense, but you'll conti- if you continue to learn from that, then um, I think you'll become a better filmmaker if it's just about. Oh, I want to get my brand out, which, you know, Instagram, yeah. Facebook and all that has like um, been a boon to people's brands. Yeah. Everyone's talking about their brand. Now it's like, oh, well, I got 30 films out. They're not any good, but I got 30. Films. I can make 30 yeah. films. Exactly. None of them are going to be good. Yeah. But if that's if that's the goal to have more, I'm going to knock out 60. Right, exactly. <laughs> if it's like it's, it's quantity. That's what we're about. Yeah. No. You know, you really want to make something that somebody responds to. I mean, I think that the first time you make something. And somebody responds positively, positively to it, and normally it's going to be in a way that you'd never really expected the film to right. be uh, received. And once you do that, you go, "Wow, you know, I'm really playing with some powerful tools here. Yeah. It actually affected somebody in mm-hmm. a way that didn't affect me, but yeah. like this person had because they bring something to it, a different outlook on it. So then you realize. I mean, I like to play with everything at every point anyway, but then you realize, oh, I can. I can sort of manipulate things. I can sort of do things in a way where, you know, I can extract more power out of it yeah. rather than just like, I just want to get it up on YouTube. Yeah. You know, get comments, which is fine. Some people just want to make stuff just to make it, put it up, not expecting anything. And that's it. Yeah. Which is fine, which I think is a, it's a cool exercise. Yeah. But for me, you know, I want to make something that, you know, people can respond to in a certain way, laugh and cry. They can be touched, moved, whatever. And I just think that it's an incredible art form and uh, it's a lot more, I don't know, scholarly, academic or whatever than, than people really realize. Even the flash, even the stuff that, you know. Yeah you think it's popcorn you know there's a lot that goes into it that you really have to think about especially your favorite action scenes i mean those have to be planned pre-vised pre-vised another thing that you know if you don't (laughs) if you're dealing in an independent world you may not know what that is you know i think the first pre-vis i saw pre-visualization you know they just sort of take a movie a scene from a movie or a scene from a script rather and just sort of in an animatic um, some of them it's, are really detailed. Um, it's sort of with camera moves and everything. They sort of sort of simulate that, and then basically the director shoots that. Yeah. Um, especially these large scale 
uh, action scenes that you see. It was uh, that um, what is that Dan Brown series that uh, Tom Hanks? Oh, the um, Da Vinci Code. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. I think it was Da Vinci. Robert Langdon series yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, I think it was Da Vinci Code, and it was like I saw the previs for a scene, and literally, I mean, the scene was spot on exactly yeah. how um, the previs was, and it just sort of like I was so in awe of Ron Howard going from here, there, and everywhere uh, as far as genres that he uh, that he tackled. I was like, wow, what a great scene i wonder how many stunt guys i wonder how wow he dripped this whole thing up out of his head probably walked on the set said all right guys i'm gonna shoot a big action scene and then i saw the previous and like oh okay so this was already this was in his head a a year ago right and he just shot what was on paper exactly (laughs) and so of course as you know because you're in the business like yeah that's what you do you know Mm -hmm. you try to minimize those days as well because a big action scene is going to take probably a week And then you gotta have to go back for reshoots. Yeah, but you know all these all these tools are great, you know. But it's all about the story. If the story doesn't work, you know, you can see the biggest explosions, the best effects you want. But if the story doesn't work, it's like. Eh, and sometimes that's all you need. You just need the smallest thread. Like even some of those uh, the hate watches I was doing is like, if there's the smallest thread of story, that will help anything. Yeah. But then once you start losing that. You start picking everything else. Yeah. That's why some of those things just come up. You're like, oh, my God, this is so bad. Right. You weren't cohesive in your storytelling. And I would challenge anyone to, like, watch any of the CW shows, the, the Greg Berlanti shows, I would say, per se, like Flash, Arrow. I mean, yes, if you're diving into a current season, you may be completely lost and going, well, this is stupid. Watch an episode of The Flash and realize they shoot that in seven days. And granted, they have production, meaning they do all that stuff. But it's like that show probably turns around in four weeks that is mm-hmm. probably their turnaround even in every episode there's you know um, a big action scene a couple of them they even start off with a little one because that's what you do in these superhero things set it up figure it out beat the bad guy resolution but right it is done with a lot of heart humor and the action and that alone is the reason why i probably watch the flash it is just so well done and then even on the technical post-production it's like how do they crank this out and are the visual effects the best they're great for tv they're not sci-fi terrible where it's like, that's not even yeah. that's not even the right color grade on that monster. Right. But they knock out 42 minutes of content shot over seven days, and you would think it's a little, a little mini action film. That any of those episodes could be, you know, a movie within an hour, like if it did a 90-minute movie. No, totally. And, and uh, knowing, working with another guy who did, uh, I think, the pilot yeah he did the pilot for the flash and then uh i was in the same uh facility as uh the post team and so they would sometimes you know when you're finishing a session they come in and mm-hmm. um we talk and you know they had uh, a vfx crew yeah and uh which which is a luxury yeah um, and they're like yeah we're we're expanding our vfx crew we're just gonna double it you know we're gonna have like eight people on the just for vfx yeah. and it's like oh okay wow i'm the vfx coordinator on this and i'm also a post supervisor and i'm getting one rate and yeah. you know i'm doing all this tracking and all this stuff and then, yeah we got somebody to do that I'm like, yeah it would be nice so every show <laughs> yeah is different but but yeah i mean that the amount of planning that has to go just in the effects of the action giving people what they want probably satisfying um is that 
DC or Marvel? DC. DC. So I'll, cu- I'll cut out that question right. so no one will <laughs> blast you. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, thank you. Um, yeah, but the DC people, you know, um, because it's like, well, it's got to be flat, you know, from yeah. the script stage, it's got to it's got to represent the Flash in a certain way, and um, it's 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 a lot that goes into it. I mean, there's a lot of really really outstanding people working yeah. in all these departments working on these things and they love it and it's cool and it's fine but it's a lot of it's a lot that goes into it yeah and those probably have double the staff yeah than a regular show because yeah you are going into it going all right well there's a big action scene well that's been pre-planned out that visual effect team is on set that day they shoot the elements and then it gets shipped out and i was hearing stories on the flash because uh, it, I was really fascinated. One of those things you probably wouldn't know is that, so he's in his outfit. And you're like, all right, great. We're going to shoot this scene with the Flash. Then it literally will tell you in the script if it's cowl up or down. So that means does he have the full mask on or down? That's a whole different like wardrobe thing. Because if it's down, his hair has to be done a certain way. If it's on, wow. obviously he doesn't have to worry about it. So it's like, it'll be like, you know, Flash is talking to the team, you know, cowl down or mask down. So it's like, okay, great. We know how to dress that scene. Or Flash is talking to the team, Cal on. And it's like, that's a, like, you wouldn't think. You would just think, well, just take it on and off. And it's like, all right, hair, makeup. Like, probably when it's on, the makeup's done a little differently. It's, yeah. That's one of those things, even being in the business, going, yeah, I'm an idiot. Why Why wouldn't I think the mask on and off is going to be something different? In my head, it's like, I would have probably saw that in the script if I was directing, why do they keep writing on or off? Well, you need to know these things whatever yeah exactly. oh shit yeah that's somebody's yeah. job <laughs> someone's job to, that probably right going okay but in the next scene it's on so maybe we should just keep it down for both or on for both. all right that's going to save us an hour because that's all it is it's about saving time right so yeah it, it's it's crazy and even you know season directors sometimes go, i don't want to deal with it on off whatever but definitely the filmmaker who's like Hey, I just want to go ahead and uh, shoot a movie, and then they realize, oh, d- that couch is blue. Is that cool? Or you know, his hair is going to be like this. Is that fine? And finally, they go, I don't care. You know, whatever. And it's <laughs> like, no, you got to care because yeah. at the end of the day, first of all, when you get in the edit room, you're like, why is his hair like that? His hair wasn't like that <laughs> because you didn't pay attention to it. You know, yeah. all these things have to uh, be taken into consideration and you're right that's somebody's job yeah and it needs to be somebody's job i don't think there's any industry where the division of labor is so like separated as as it, this industry you know yeah. um, you know you got your unions you got your teamsters who i'll drive but i mean they're not even allowed to touch anything with like i'm not touching anything yeah you can put that in my truck and i'll take it there yeah but i can't actually it's like Holy shit! I'm surprised anything gets done. It, it does get to the point. I'm not no bashing at you or anything. It's like it does get to the point where it's like I'm technically not allowed to move a chair to another room, like on a lot. Yeah, I'm supposed to call someone to move a chair. Like I'm talking a rolling chair, but it's like fine. I'll break that rule. I'll roll the chair into the other room. But it's like you get to the point where there's almost too many rules. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't roll that. Uh, fine, just find me. I get you need everything, but then I think I've messaged John sometimes when I'm in production meetings, which. You have to have a production meeting. Post isn't always necessarily needed there, right. especially if you're on just a regular. Like the show I'm on is a very talky show. Never anything there, but I go to each one. <laughs> yeah. But not on this show. A couple shows ago, I was there, and there was a, all right, we're going to be outside. Um, it might be raining, or like the sea might be rainy. Uh, we're going to have umbrellas. Great. And Props was like, we'll have, you know, 20 umbrellas. And they're like, great. Then Props stupidly raised their hand and go, oh, wait, what color do you want those umbrellas? 
Well, it doesn't matter. Well, I have 20 blue and 30 black. Well, how many people are in the scene? 20? Then use either or. Like, it didn't, it got to the point where it's like, we're having a 20-minute conversation yeah. on the color of the umbrella. I get it if it was a VFX scene. Well, we're going to be in front of green. Make sure no one has green on. Great. No, it was just someone had to bring up what color? Their umbrellas. Like, and this was one of those things where everything does mean something. This was nothing. This was just, we're going to be outside rainy. Just people have umbrellas. Just have umbrellas. And I was like, I can't believe I'm I, I'm sitting in this meeting. Yeah. And then there's a 20 minute. It's just like, I almost just wanted to raise my hand. Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> can, can, can it be mixed? How sidebar. about 50-50? Oh, right. sidebar. Sidebar. Can you just talk about this later? Because I have nothing in this script and I just want to go back yeah. to my job. You're just like, you're, you're like texting uh, in the production meeting. Okay, I'll be, when are you coming back? What do you, well, we got this. What about this? What about that? What about that? Okay. Uh, so and so just laughed. Is that cool? He's, he's going to be back. Really? We got to get yeah. that thing out tonight. Why? Where do you go? Why am I not there? <laughs> Hold on. I have my one question. Uh, okay. The TV playback is that live or not live? Not live. All right. I'm leaving. Yeah. I was there. Like, I'm there okay. 10 minutes. I'm done. <laughs> That's just a whole different episode of just production meetings. That's yeah. just the worst. But uh, with like your film school of watching films, it's funny because it's like I have my friend who I talked about previously who was the guy who wanted to be the Spielberg. You know, it's like, oh, I want to make these big films. And it's funny. It's like I, I think the films that I always attracted to me were like the John Hughes, mm-hmm. the Evil Dead, these small films that I always saw where it's like, not because it's like, oh, I could do what John Hughes does. I don't think anyone can do what John Hughes can do with dialogue. But it's funny how you can have – and I loved all the films he loves. He loves, you know, the the Alien, Aliens, and everything in the 80s, Die Hard, anything, Spielberg, totally. Luke, anything. It's like, but that was his goal. And it's so funny to me. It's like I'd rather enjoy that film, but I'd rather make a film about teenagers talking. Yeah. Like I don't know why. It's just like it's that weird – it's like like you said – I found something that spoke to me. What spoke to him was the explosions, which is great when done correctly. I mean, you can have any movie. Go to Netflix now. You can find 20 movies that of course. that have one star that came out this year that have an explosion in it. But it is weird how, like you're saying, that films talk to you. It's like for some reason the John Hughes film talked to me. I was never any of those kids. I mm-hmm. didn't fit. Even though he tried to be diverse, John Hughes wasn't very diverse in his casting. Well, it's five actors that he always used, but <laughs> right. no one was me, looked like me, or had the same situation as me growing up. But I still loved those films. I, I didn't have to identify with it. And there was just something about that. Yeah. I think that kind of worked. It's like, yeah, I would like to be one of these people. I'm not. I didn't feel like I needed to be. But it is weird how that just affected me more. And then Evil Dead. I think it was that idea of these just films that seemed small but stayed with me yeah like, oh my god even though none of john hughes films were small they all had like real budgets and everything but in right. my head they were smaller than die hard yeah I, john hughes is is someone who i just he's one of those guys i like watch the films and i just marvel i just go how because it it affects me so much mm-hmm. and yeah grant i wasn't one of these specific kids but there are themes in these movies that you can, you know, relate to. Yeah. You know, just railing against the machine, whether it be Ferris Bueller or even Breakfast Club. Yeah. It's just like, in movies about high school, I don't know why I always, yeah. like I'm a sucker yeah. for that. But done very well. Yeah. Like character, the character, that's John Hughes. Like, you fall in love with these characters. Yeah. And then you can go anywhere with them. I think right now people are chasing either chasing John Hughes or trying to do their own thing, mm-hmm. trying to end up somewhere in between, but it doesn't, it doesn't ring true. Yeah. You know, sometimes it does very rarely it does, but 
you know, John Hughes sort of hit all the time. Um, is one of those other geniuses who like wrote scripts and like that you love in two days, yeah. you know? And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's like, you would get breakfast club, which I think he did write in a weekend or something like yeah. that. Or maybe I think he, that was one he like had for a while or something, but I think it was weird science. He wrote in a weekend and it's like, how do you write that one? Cause that one is very fantasy based. Yeah. Like, like I would get breakfast club if he knocked that out on a yes. weekend. It's like, it's five kids talking. Genius, yeah. It's like, great. I knocked that out because I just knew what I wanted to say. But Weird Science is a completely different film. It's like, Fantasy Bay is like, no, that was the weekend. You know, I put my headphones on, put the plimsolls playing in my headphones. That's knocked what out. he does. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. It's like, you know, an agent's dream. It's like, <laughs> he's never going, Hughes, we need that We need that uh, breakfast club script. Come on, where is it? He's like, yeah. <laughs> He was the Star Wars of the time where they want to do a Star Wars year, but it's like, well, you can't have a Star Wars movie every year. You can't have, all right, here's seven, here's eight, here's nine. All right, well, you're going to have a Star Wars, then a Star Wars story. Right. Every other one. John Hughes could only write and direct every other year. Right. So it was just sort of like, all right, well, here's some kind of wonderful Howie Deutsch, you can direct that one. That's right, because he would just write it. Yeah, like he would write it, but it's like, John well, yeah. look, I'm doing this one, so yeah. I think it was always Howie Deutsch probably directed every yeah, other yeah. one, but it was so funny where they, he, you knew he were going to get your value. He was, I guess you don't say, he was the resident evil of his time. You made a $20 million movie, we got a $70 million return. Great, let's make another one. Like totally. his returns were always it, and they hit people, they hit, a lot of people always talk about it. I mean, talking about it now, and it's been, you know, 30 odd years. And see, and that's the thing. I mean, it was a different time in that we didn't have like uh, on-demand uh, TV and the digital world. Obviously, wasn't around then. So saturation now, yeah, you know, saturation. Um, some things do emerge uh, from that, but you know, back then it was like a few films. But John Hughes did something, like you said, we were talking about it today. Did something like to touch you, something yeah. inside you to go. Oh man, John Hughes. Like I remember when I, you yeah. know, this is I'm Ducky or I'm this person yeah. or I'm that uh, or I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be Ferris Bueller. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's still. Uh, what is it? Uh, Deadpool did a, a yeah. Ferris Bueller uh, take. You know, and it's just like, and you don't have to explain it to anyone. No. It's like people just knew. It's like, oh, Ferris Bueller. It's like I'm surprised these kids know what Ferris Bueller I, exactly. is. But you just take away, like, you can strip that movie down to like. Kids can watch it now going, well, he could have done a lot more if he had a cell phone, but movie still plays without the modern technology. Yeah. You know, it's like you can play Ferris Bueller now and go, oh, I get it. I get what this kid's doing or whatever. And all those things. I think what it is is he he grabbed on the, the pain it was to be a teen mm-hmm. without over-exaggerating it. There's going to be the person that no one knows and the person that everyone knows and then the person in between or something. Like, even movies like... Um, can't buy me love mm-hmm. which he didn't write or anything i don't even know who wrote that i should know i love that film but it's like he took the fact that it's like oh it's gonna be a nerd but it's not the over classical nerd that you would do now right and i wasn't that guy but i could relate to that guy but then i could relate to the popular you know it's like it was just yeah, like they did something a really, everyone yeah yeah that was a uh, probably i'm gonna have to look it up i'm sorry now i'm just sort of more of a i don't know who wrote can't buy me love but um that was probably a close to john hughes film yeah i mean yeah i would say that um that you're right but you know it it was sort of there were films i think within the vein of john hughes that weren't like horrible knockoffs of john hughes i think that i don't know if i want to attribute it to the time where people just 
and that could have been like uh let me see right now is i hope john hughes wrote it and i was just uh <laughs> steve rash director michael swerdelek wrote it i have oh. no idea oh um, steve rash the editor yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but once again i don't know if it's one of those things where uh, some of these studios were like oh wow john hughes is taking off get us like they do now it's like we need a john hughes film uh, we have a Camp I Me mean, Love script that's sort of John Hughesy. Yeah, get it made, you know, and that's probably how a lot of these things happen. Is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, any teen script you want to you want to sort of replicate what John Hughes has done. Which he wrote the story for Class Act. Ah, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Class Act I, I with just, a kid in play. Yeah, 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 but I just I just read something from someone about Class Act. That's what's one of his first. I don't know who the. I'll, I'll get back to you. Oh, okay. Someone who I was. We'll like, do a whole pot on class some, act. Yeah, someone who was researching. You know, was like, oh, I wonder what he did. And I go, oh, class act, really? That's a great film. I, yeah, I'm Polly Shore. Uh, so Polly Shore. Maybe it's Polly Shore. That was it. He went straight. It was funny. He wrote Can't Buy Me Love, and then sort of went else, into though. TV. Like he wrote a Saved by the Bell, Who's the Boss, a Doogie Howser. Parker Lewis can't lose at Beverly Hills. Probably because like he knows teens. Like yeah. he got pigeonholed into. Yeah. You wrote a teen comp. That's exactly what it I is. I guess I'll write you a script. So maybe he just knocked it out. The story. So that means he pitched. I have an idea. Kid and play go to high school and you know have yeah. to switch places. Done. Sure. Sold. Let's do it. Boy meets world. When in Rome. Of course. Oh, then he did a lot of uh, Mary Kate and Ashley movies. Uh, it's probably a payday there. Yeah, that was definitely a payday. And then that's it. Oh. Sorry, guy, um, I can't pronounce your name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was, it, it's kind of off topic, but I didn't want to uh, end before just mentioning this. Last night I was watching, not the news, but like a promo for the news. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was because I didn't see the story. But I thought about you when I saw the, <laughs> the title of it. And it was hate. Apparently it's a, it's a new thing. Hate dating. Oh. And I'm just wondering what, I'm sure we'll find out, but what do you? what would you think... And, it, and they mentioned Tinder and all that, so I don't know. I wonder if it's hate dating. I I don't know. Like, in my head would just be you're doing it because you feel obligated, so you're going on these dates, but it's like you feel like you're going on a hate date. Like, that would be, well, the first thing, unless it was a big flashy line, would be you're doing it because you feel obligated. It's like, well, go on Tinder. Go on the dating sites just to date. That's not what I want to do, and you're doing it because you feel like you have to. Okay. So at the end of the night, you're just... You feel like, why am I going on these things just because I feel like that's the only way to date? And then the other angle would just be like some sort of like Nazi thing. Hate dates. <laughs> Hate dates. Yeah, I hope I, I, Oh my God, I hope it's not that. Coming big. into true TV. Yeah. <laughs> Hate dates. Yeah, I, I sort of went in the direction of, you know, people swipe left. I guess it means you don't. Yeah. Know, I think swipe right. Right is good because I, yeah. I think I just heard a radio ad for a car company it was a mercedes-benz ad and she goes i would swipe right for a mercedes-benz and i'm like all right so right is the good one okay. and then left must yeah. be the the bad one so maybe you date the people that you swipe left on is that would be awesome you know it's like oh the the war like just find the worst left swipe of yeah. all and just go out with that person i bet that's probably it just, that would definitely be more of the angle yeah just to see i guess what it would be like yeah and then go tell people about it or something but oh my god then, this guy you know he's yeah a, he breeds cats yeah. and, you know <laughs> and makes his own beer yeah. it's like i'm gonna date that guy right you know you go i bet that's what hate date is yeah 
And speaking of uh, uh, film school and people that learn filming, do you think Richard Kelly with Southland Tales watched any movies before making Southland Tales? I, th- I... Or did he watch too many movies then made Southland Tales? I mean, it may be the latter. I mean, he went to USC and... Um, Every year they have this film festival at the DGA, mm-hmm. and one year he spoke. He was the um, the host or the MC, and you know he talked about you know it's a little bit about his time in film school and um, didn't didn't get any Southland yeah. Tales things in there, <laughs> but um, you know his love for movies and stuff like that. And he's another one who like student student yeah. of the movies, always a student of the movies and stuff like that, but. Southland Tales for me, it just a mutual friend of ours had showed me the movie and mm-hmm. he said, y- "Explain it to me because I just don't, I just don't get it." And I, I'm going in with my film school cap on. I'm like, "All right, I'm ready. Here we go." Yeah. And, and and by the time it ended up, just like I have no idea because I can go philosophically yeah. anywhere with any film and try to. That was, that was film school for me. It was yeah. just the fun of it. Was like, let me read into this stuff. But Southland Tales, I just couldn't understand where he was coming from because in listening to him speak and uh, knowing what I know about him, I just couldn't imagine it was just like some a lark where he just like had the rock. I mean, he had all these people in yeah. it and just said, "Hey, this is my dream, so to speak. Yeah, uh, go with me." You know. Yeah. Um, but we're going to probably have to put a pin in the Southland Tales talk. As, and so, oh, I was uh, just going to go off on Southland Tales. We had the insight. We started it. We did. But, um, we did. you know, it's actually a work day for me. I have to go back to work, and uh, John has to get back to his web series, which we'll update you on next week. We will. Um, thank you for listening to Post Apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is John. Have a good one.